Greenwich Village enjoyed its last great flowering as the bohemian capital of America from the years following World War II through the 1970s. It still drew pilgrims and exiles from around the world. Among them were a bounty of creative geniuses who made the neighborhood a whirring dynamo of culture. Where else but the village would William Burroughs, Jack Kerouac, and Allen Ginsberg form their own little society, the so-called Beat Generation. An idiosyncratic village record label helped spark the volcanic rise of folk music in the late 1950s. Moses Mo Ash was born in Poland in 1905, eldest son of the Yiddish writer Sholem Ash. From there, the family moved to Berlin, France, and New York. In the 1930s, he worked on developing electric guitars and amplifiers, with a guitarist then performing as Rhubarb Red, later famous as Les Paul. In 1949, Mo founded the Folkways label, which, in 1952, issued a six-disc collection that changed the course of American popular culture. The Anthology of American Folk Music, compiled by a bona fide crazed American genius, Harry Smith. Smith was an ethnomusicologist, anthropologist, filmmaker, record producer, alchemist, drunk, mooch, psychedelic adventurer, speed freak, and self-defeating crank. Always broke, he offered to sell Ash his large collection of old, obscure, 78 RPM records. Ash had the idea for the anthology, for which Smith selected 84 tracks of blues, Cajun, jug band, bluegrass, gospel, and race records released in the 1920s and 30s and not heard since. It was a treasure trove for young listeners like Bob Dylan, who memorized every song on it. Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Phil Oakes, Joan Baez, and many other folk music stars recorded with Folkways. Folkways and a music shop called Izzy Young's Folklore Center attracted folkies from everywhere to the village. In 1961, Dylan ran away from Middle America, arrived one morning in the village, and played his first gig in the basement Café Wa that afternoon. Five years later, Chas Chandler, former bassist for The Animals, discovered perhaps the greatest rock guitarist of all time, Jimmy James, playing at the Café Wa. He whisked him off to London, changed his name to Jimi Hendrix, and changed the course of pop music history. Toward the end of his tragically short life, Jimmy would return to the village to build and record in his own Electric Lady Studios. When the Velvet Underground played their first public gigs at the village's Café Bazaar in 1965, the owner unplugged their amps and threw them out. Andy Warhol scooped them up. Musical provocateurs The Fugs had more success playing long residencies in the village, while villager John Cage was exploring the limits 
of how music was defined. In 1971, the village was where John and Yoko fled after the Beatles broke up. Yoko knew it and liked it from her earlier years on the New York art scene. John was characteristically cheeky about it, calling it sort of the artsy-fartsy section of town, where all the students and the would-bees live, and a few old poets and that. In 1958, Edward Albee, who'd come to the village in revolt against his wealthy family, wrote his first play, The Zoo Story, at his kitchen table. He went on to help make the neighborhood the center of off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway theater. Norman Mailer and other brilliant cranks started The Village Voice in the mid-1950s as a weekly forum for eccentric and sometimes crackpot writers. Mailer's relationship with the village was as scratchy as all of his relationships. He once groused that it was one of the bitter provinces. It abounds in snobs and critics. At the same time, village troublemaker Barney Rossett's Grove Press was startling America with Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot. James Baldwin, Maya Darren, James Agee, Anais Neen, Leroy Jones, and W.H. Auden were all also living and writing in the village in this era. Gene Shepard, who escaped to the village from the small town of Hammond, Indiana, was one of the most outsized radio personalities in an era rich with them. You have no idea what a terrible lure this place is to people who live outside of this place, he once said of his adopted home. He famously mutated New York State's motto, Excelsior, into Excelsior, you fathead. By the 1960s, Greenwich Village was hitting its peak as a gathering place for gays, lesbians, transsexuals, and transvestites all lonely outcasts in most of America. On the streets of the village, it could be difficult to tell the biological females from expert drag queens like Candy Darling and Holly Woodlawn, James Slattery of Long Island, and Geraldo Santiago Dancal of Miami, both immortalized by Lou Reed in Walk on the Wild Side. Because their sexuality was still illegal, the neighborhood was a convenient target for those who would prey on and profit from them. Neighborhood bars that allowed gay and lesbian clientele, often mafia-backed, overcharged for watered drinks and paid off corrupt cops to make raids at prearranged times. In the summer of 1969, Reacting to yet another raid at one of these bars, the Stonewall Inn, young gays and lesbians exploded in a riot that raged for three nights in the streets of the village. It was a rebellion with a distinctly gay flair at times, such as a chorus line of drag queens kicking up their heels at a line of tear gas wielding cops while singing, as the young Lucian Truscott recorded in the village voice, 
We are the Stonewall Girls. We wear our hair in curls. We have no underwear. We show our pubic hair. The Stonewall Uprising was a watershed moment. The Greenwich Village of the 1970s was openly, proudly, effusively gay. As anti-LGBT laws began to topple, gay and lesbian-owned bars and shops bloomed throughout the neighborhood. LGBT tourists from around the globe flocked to it to revel and pay homage to the wellspring of the liberation movement. As always, some villagers took things to extremes. New sex clubs and the crumbling waterfront became scenes of nonstop orgies and kinky depravity, with young men competing to rack up as many sex partners as they could get in a single night. That golden age of the gay village came crashing to a tragic end in the early 1980s, as AIDS ravaged and decimated the neighborhood. Survivors fled what had become a zone of sorrow and horror. The Greenwich Village of old, the centuries-long Bohemian enclave and Mecca for misfits, never really recovered. A zoring real estate market in the 1990s sealed its fate. Today, no aspiring young artists or bohemians could afford to move there. It's just another affluent bedroom community in Manhattan, a place for nostalgia, not for making history, a magnet for millionaires, not misfits. But what a run it had. <laughs>